Over the Christmas holiday um, season, I introduced uh, our oldest son to the magic of Star Wars for the very first time. And so it was a great joy to me to see the awe on his face as he's watching all these incredible things. Uh, I fielded many questions throughout the movie as we were watching. We started with the original trilogy, so Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And then after we watched that first movie, I asked my son, well, who's your favorite character uh, that you saw? And of course, he answered, Luke Skywalker. And then uh, when, as I watched him over the next several days, what do you think he wanted to do most over the next probably week? Well, he wanted to challenge everyone in the home to lightsaber battles. And so as you see in this picture, he challenged me to a lightsaber battle. He challenged Jia Jia. He even challenges the baby to fight with him uh, with lightsabers. And the reason why is because when you and I are inspired by heroes, we tend to adopt their vision and their values, their character and their quirks. We're inspired to follow their example. Now, I think the same holds true when it comes to matters of faith. That it's easy for me to stand here and just tell you that you should persevere in your faith when times are tough. But there are a few things that encourage us and empower us as being inspired by God-given examples who actually live out this kind of heroic, persevering faith. And so if you have a Bible, you want to turn in it this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. We're in this series that we're calling Anchored, that we're discovering as turbulence in our lives cause us to drift from our faith, that Jesus is an anchor of hope for our souls, and that for the Hebrew Christians back then receiving this letter, as well as for us today, that this letter is a call for us to hang on to Jesus because he is better than all other people and pursuits and possibilities in which we tend to place our hope. Now, you might remember, or you need a refresher in chapters 8 through 10, that it unveiled that there's this new covenant relationship between God and his people, that through Jesus, this greater high priest who has come to us, who sheds his blood for our sin, so that we can draw near to God simply by placing our faith in him and his work. And so it ended that chapter 10 with this challenge for us not to shrink away uh, from, from God, not to shrink back in our faith in times of trouble, because he who promised is faithful in the end, so we must be faithfully enduring to the end as well. And so here in chapter 11, it answers the question, yes, but what does that kind of enduring faith look like? How do we persevere through those difficult times? And so what the author does is he's going to take us on a walk through the spiritual hall of fame, uh, this list of heroes of this faith, starting from even the beginning of biblical history. And so let's explore some of the lessons that were learned about battle-hardened faith, the kind that pleases God, in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended 
as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So the faith that God commends in these heroes of the past, it's not blind faith, it's not wishful thinking, but in verses 1 and 2, it talks about both the assurance of your future hope as well as the conviction of your present experience with God. In other words, that faith can be defined as the confidence in the reality of God's promises for tomorrow and the conviction of God's presence for today in the evidence, the verse says, in things unseen. Now, I want you to catch this. By things unseen, it doesn't mean imaginary. It means that there's the visible provision and power that we can see in the invis- of the invisible and supernatural God. That it's not something that you're placing your faith in imaginary things, but the visible provision and power that of God being expressed of this invisible and supernatural God. And so it begs the question, well, yes, but why would I tr- put my trust in something that I cannot see? And so verse 3 reminds us that you and I know that all that is visible and tangible is created by this unseen and supernatural God. And so you can trace the shape of that which is unseen by its effect on what you can see. Like when the wind blows through the grass and you see the grass ripple. So when it's hard for us to see God, when all we can see is our troubles in our lives, we know that we can still trust the Creator because He is both powerful and faithful, and we know that He is evident by the things that we can see. Also, I want you to see how we can trust this invisible God through the visible examples of faith. And so in verses 4 and 5, we get this weird story uh, about Abel, who is the son of Adam and Eve, that God accepts his offering, but not his brother Cain's. And so as a result, his brother Cain actually murders him for it. Now the question is, why was his offering better? Why did God accept his offering, not his brother's? And the answer is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, that Abel gave, it says in the verse, his first fruits to God instead of his leftovers. He gave with a worshipful heart, trusting God's grace and provision instead of a begrudging heart, trying to buy God's favor like his brother does. So here's the point that Abel was righteous in God's sight, not by, because of what he gave, not because of what he earns, but because of his faith. And he suffered and died for it, enduring faith. Now, on the other hand, we come to this man named Enoch, and his story in Genesis chapter 5 is not about suffering, but instead it's about how he walked so closely with God that at the end of this, his long life, that he never had to taste death. Instead, God directly took him up to heaven. He's only one of two people that that happened to in the entire Bible and in all of history. And so together, these two men show to us their examples of faith that trusts God to both endure suffering that's temporary and to receive life that's eternal. And so how do we develop that kind of faith that can walk through our present struggles 
and trust in our future hope. Verse 6 says that we draw near to God by believing he exists in the present and that he rewards us in the future. In other words, the big idea of this whole passage that we're looking at this morning is that when you and I face difficulty and doubt, that we are to persevere like these examples of faith who had faith in God's presence as a reality and his promises as a certainty. That we trust the presence and power of the invisible God at work in our lives today. And we also come before him and have confidence in his promises for tomorrow based on what we, the evidence of what we, what we see. And so when you can't see past your own difficulties and doubts, what's going to keep you afloat is that is certainty in the presence of the invisible God today, in your life today, so that it gives you confidence in his promises, the promises of God for tomorrow. And so when you have those moments of struggle, kind of like what this passage is hinting at, something that might encourage you is to think through who are visible examples of faith, biblically, historically, maybe even personally, that inspire you and encourage you. Who are men and women that you've seen endure the pain of the present and yet trust the promises of the future in Christ? Now, practically, what does this kind of faith look like to us? The author turns our attention to one of the greatest heroes of faith in the Bible, in Abraham. So let's pick up in verse 8. By faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died by faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's stop right there for a moment. So God made this promise to Abraham, but it's more than just about receiving land and descendants. If you look at verse 8, it's a spiritual promise that by faith that he gets adopted into God's family because he receives a lasting inheritance as if he was God's own son. And so he receives this calling to leave behind his home everything that is comfortable and familiar in his life. He doesn't know the destination, and he's just asked by God to follow him one step at a time. Has God ever done that in your life? Like called you to leave something behind and yet not told you exactly where you need to go and just to simply trust him 
for the next step. And by faith, Abraham trusts him and obeys. Now, in verse 9, it's very interesting. For those of you who are are Bible scholars, uh, did you know that before Israel, that we saw in Exodus, was delivered out of slavery in Egypt to go to a promised land, did you know that their forefathers actually reached the promised land first? That's what happened to Abraham. But you see that they didn't settle there. They didn't lay roots there. He didn't build his dream home there in verse 9. Instead, Abraham... His son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, they were all heirs of the promises of God. And so they continued to live in tents, even in the promised land, instead of building a dream home, as if they were foreign refugees in the land. Now the question is, why? Verse 10, they knew this was not their real home. They were looking forward to a better city, a lasting eternal home from God. And what's cool about this this hall of fame, these heroes of faith, is it's not just the men. In verses 11 and 12, Abraham's 90-year-old wife, Sarah, she's well past her childbearing years. She's been barren all this time. (coughs) Excuse me. And yet, she trusts God, his power, and his faithfulness to be able to conceive their firstborn son, Isaac, their true son, who is the starting point of the lineage that was promised by God to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the Uh, grains of sand on the shore. Now, here's the key to this part of the passage. Look at verses 13 and 14. They all died before the promise of God was fulfilled. Now, they caught encouraging glimpses of it, it says in that verse, like symbolic land or a symbolic sun, but none of them received the fullness of God's promise in their lifetime. And yet, they continued to trust God that even though they were physically inhabiting the promised land, they lived as if they were strangers, as if they were exiles, because their eyes and their lives are fixed upwards, seeking their true home with God. Do you know that that is also true of us today? That even though we live at a point in history after Jesus has died and risen from the grave and promised us many things. And yet, if you and I were to die today, that you and I have not yet received the fullness of God's promise. Like Abel, we continue to experience suffering and death that might cause us to drift from God. Unlike Enoch, you and I have not yet experience the full glory of eternal life with Jesus until he returns and rolls up history like a scroll and ushers in the city of God forever where there's no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears. And so when we look at this picture of God, when we look at this picture of history in these heroes of faith, the question is, well, how do they persevere? And how do we persevere? Verse 15. When the road was hard, Abraham and his family could have turned back at any point and just said, let's go back to Ur of the Chaldeans. But they weren't hung up on what they had left behind, what they had left or what they had lost. What puts steel in their spines in verse 16, it says that they have a desire. They desired a better city, a heavenly kingdom. That I want you to hear this. Faith is not about your behavior management. I need to quit drinking or quit lusting or quit hoarding. I need to be less selfish. It's about desire. That I want God and his goodness above all else in life. 
And so this is what persevering faith looks like. Persevering faith yearns for the unseen, eternal promises of God ahead more than the visible and earthly things that we leave behind. Did you catch that? That it's exilic in nature. It's a calling for us to let go of our security and our priorities and our pleasures of this life and this world. That wherever you find yourself in life, whether in good circumstances or ill, that we are temporary travelers, that this is not our true inheritance or our treasure or our home, that Jesus is because he is our ultimate joy. He is our fulfillment ahead of us. Like Abraham and his family, where is God calling you into faith by calling you out from what's familiar or comfortable? Where is God calling you towards his promises and his provision and his salvation? And when God calls us to leave something, it's not necessarily about geographic movement. It's not necessarily about leaving a situation. There's times that God calls us to move away from sin, or maybe he's calling you to move towards your spouse. But the question is about leaving behind our security and our self-reliance to desire something better in Jesus. So as God calls you to step into faith, to step forward in obedience where are your eyes perhaps looking backwards? Things that you've left, things that you've lost, things that you hold on to and that, you, that hold you back from trusting and following Jesus. Now, I want you to hear me. I know if, just from hearing this, it sounds like, well, I need to follow the rules better or try harder. But that's not faith. That's behavior management. What's, so what's going to help us so that we don't... What's, that's not going to give us strength to persevere in those moments if we only think about how to manage our behaviors. So how do we get from here to there in persevering faith? I think about uh, my daughter, Violet. Uh, getting her to uh, come to the dinner table is uh, oftentimes painful and slow. It's often accompanied by wailing and gnashing of teeth, sometimes hers, sometimes mine. And uh, uh, she would rather play or finish a book or just lie down on the couch with her blue blanket. And so it's very painful trying to get her to come to dinner. But she's a weakness, a kryptonite. You see, she has an incredible sweet tooth as evidenced by the picture that's pulled up on the screen, that her that joyful chocolate mustache that she has on her face. And so one of the things in our family is that on the weekends, you get to have dessert if you sit at the table on time and if you finish your dinner on time. And so you can imagine in my daughter's mind that you can see the wheels turning as she takes this brief moment away. What does she desire more? And of course, just takes a moment before she rushes over to the dinner table so that she can eat all of her dinner and get her dessert. You see, you're only able to let go of one desire when you know that there's something better ahead of you. And so how do, what do we persevere in our faith? through moments of pain or moments of loss? How do we put one foot in front of the other when we feel like giving up? How do we persevere instead of constantly turning back and turning away from Jesus in those times of need? It's not by our ability or our morality. It is whether or not we yearn for the promises of God ahead, that we know in the depths of our soul that what we have to look forward to in Jesus is far better 
than everything else that we've left behind. Now there's a final piece to persevering faith. And it's probably the hardest part for people like you and I. Do I trust God when the cost is high? Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. The actual uh, original language is his only begotten son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Sorry, I want to skip ahead to the next passage. So let's stop right there for a minute. So what's happening here? It's actually continuing a focus on the story of Abraham. And we saw that the story of Abraham's faith began with his calling from God that we read about in verse 8. But it reaches its climax here in the sacrifice of his son. And so you might remember Abraham's story that God promised to him to multiply his descendants into a great nation. And yet, I want you to think about in terms of real time and real life that he had to wait till he was over a hundred years old before the birth of his true son, Isaac. So I want you to imagine in your mind the years of barrenness, the temptation to doubt. Will God do this for me? Years, decades have have passed. And so will Abraham give up on God? Will he give up on the promises? And what we see throughout the Bible is that he patiently trusted. And as a result, God blesses him with his true son. And so you can imagine the joy. He's quietly raising Isaac up with love, with joy in their home, and finally receiving what he perceived to be the great blessing that God promised, the beginning of the great blessing that God promises. Then we see here in verses 17 and 18, God tests his heart. Do you treasure the blessing more than the blesser? Or are you willing to give up your only son, your only begotten son, the one that was declared to fulfill the promises of God in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12? As Are you willing to give up this fulfillment of promise as an offering to God? And I think about when the promises of God are hanging by a single thread and he seems to take even that away from us. Will we still trust that he is just, that he is good, that he is God? I wonder how many of you have been there where it feels like what God promised, what little that you have received of it so far is being taken away. And how do you respond to that? And to his credit, Abraham obeys. But how does he reconcile God's promise through his son with God's command to sacrifice that same son? Look at verse 19. By faith, Abraham comes to the only conclusion possible if you know God and you know his character and you know his power, 
that if I obey God, he will still fulfill his promise because God is able to raise him from the dead. You see, when you know God, when you desire who he is and and what he will give above all else, even when the cost seems inconceivably high, That persevering faith is obedient in sacrifice because it trusts that God's promise will be fulfilled, that it transcends even death. That the the God who can raise the dead can resurrect any promise that I've given back to him. You see, Abraham was an example of faith to the generations of his family that followed him. We see in the rest of the passage that he passes down this torch of faith to trust God and his promises, even when you haven't seen the fulfillment yet. Then in verses 20 through 22, by faith, his son Isaac blesses his own son. And literally the original language there, because it says future blessings in your text, but it says concerning things to come. That means he wasn't just praying for his sons to receive a nice wife and a nice life, but he was giving a confident blessing of of God's eternal promises for his sons by faith, even though he wouldn't see the outcome in his lifetime. And then his son, Jacob, as he approached death, worships God and blesses his grandsons with God's future, future promises, even though he had not yet experienced their fulfillment because he trusts that God's promises transcend death. And then his son, in verse 22, Joseph endured suffering and slavery and betrayal by his own brothers. And God raises him up out of those terrible circumstances back into the life to become second in command of all of Egypt as an agent of salvation for his family and his, and his future, the nation of Israel. And by faith, at the end of his life, he's so certain in God's promise that he instructs uh, his descendants to take his bones with them when God will promises to lead them out of Egypt because he knew this was not the promised land. He trusts that God will fulfill his promises after even his own bodily death. And at the end of each of their lives, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, none of them had received the fulfillment, yet they confidently trust God. And so they would pray and they would plan for the future that his promises would transcend their deaths. That's the legacy of faith that was passed down from Abraham, who trusts God enough to surrender what he treasured most, what was promised to him most. And so I want to ask you, where is God testing and refining your faith like Abraham? Where is he calling you to trust his promises, to let go of something or to let go of someone that you hold on to for security and your future in place of Jesus? For some of us, Sacrificing your Isaac means staying at your current job. For some, it's leaving your current job. For some of us, it's about surrendering our dream, or perhaps surrendering our pain. For some of us, it might be sacrificing our bitterness by staying married or by staying single. But what is that costly thing that God is calling you to surrender into his hands so it won't be an idol in place of Jesus and prevent you from experiencing his promises. Because the very thing that you're holding on too tight to, tightly to may be the very thing that sets you free if you give it to God. And even if you don't see the fulfillment of God's promises in your lifetime, will you trust God, his goodness, and his faithfulness? 
because we're reminded by these examples of faith that the God who has power to raise the dead has power to fulfill all of his promises to us. When you can't see past the pain, what will keep you afloat is certainty in the presence of the invisible God today and confidence in his promises for tomorrow. And now I know that's easy to say, but hard to do. But when you can't see God, you can still trace his outline through these visible examples of faith. We talked about Dr. Steve Korch this morning, and uh, many of you know he's more than just a professor or a guest speaker in our church. Um, His friendship and mentorship over the years have meant the world to me. After he passed this uh, last Monday, I took some time out this week to reflect and how he's been there for many of the most significant events of my life. He performed my ordination as a pastor. He performed my wedding to my best friend. He was there to welcome the birth of my son, Indy, and my daughter, Violet. He supported me through uncharted territories when we were casting New Vision. He gave me my first opportunity to teach uh, at a seminary, and he was supporting me through difficult seasons of ministry. But most of all, he's been an example of faith to me. And not necessarily because he was so perfect, but actually because he wasn't so perfect. Now, don't get me wrong. Pastor Steve was a great pastor. He's a great husband. He's a great father and grandfather. And he is as wonderful and as wise and kind as you think that he is. And yet, early on in his race, he stumbled near the start line. And it would have been very easy for him to give up on his faith and his ministry, and yet he looked past his circumstances to desperately cling on to the cross and its promises, trusting that there is a God of grace, a God of second chances, who forgives us and even restores us and blesses us even increasingly more in all that we've lost beforehand. And it puts some skin on that picture of hope for me, a picture of a redemption story for broken and messed up people just like me. So even when I fall down or when I'm knocked down now, I remember his example. It helps me to persevere in trusting the reality of God's presence and the certainty of God's promises. I miss him and I love him tremendously. And I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude for his influence on my life and my ministry and my faith. So when you're struggling to hang on, who are your heroes of faith? Who are visible examples, biblically and historically and personally, that inspire you and encourage you to hang on? Men and women who have endured pain today, yet trust Jesus for their tomorrow. During those moments of difficulty or despair or doubt, we're going to persevere by following these examples of faith. Faith in God's presence as a reality. Faith in God's promises as a certainty. And I want you to remember to persevere by by fixing your attention and your direction and your desire on those unseen eternal things, promises of God ahead, more than the visible and temporary things that you have to leave behind. You persevere by being obedient, by even in taking the hardest steps of sacrifice, because you trust that Jesus and his promises transcend death, that he is our future and our eternity are secure in Christ. And so as you come before the Lord this morning, 
Would you pray with me and perhaps allow the Lord to do some soul-searching and surgery with you as well? Heavenly Father, we thank you that sometimes when we fall down or get knocked down, when we're unable to walk forward or crawl forward, yet you provide so much strength and hope for our souls. And we thank you that the hope we have isn't just wishful thinking, but it's based on confident assurance, a certainty that we see in these examples of men and women who have gone before us, who knew with certainty that you are faithful, you are powerful, and your promises are all yes and amen. And so God, we are realistic and we grieve during moments of pain and loss. And yet our eyes Look forward, look upward to a better city, a heavenly kingdom. Promises of joy and fulfillment, of peace, of comfort, of meeting all of our needs, of provision and presence. Because you are all we need. And so would you give us strength today? Would you help us to remember, even if we're not feeling the the tragedy today, that you are preparing our hearts to hang on, to persevere Encourage us, Lord. And if we're in a place of pain today, Lord, would you help us to come before you and lay it before your feet as a sacrifice, as an Isaac, trusting God that you can take our brokenness and our mess and what little we have to give you and you accept our surrender, that you are our strength and our joy and our comfort. Help us to treasure you, O Lord, above all else, more than all the things that we lose or have in this world and in this life. May it be what gives us courage to press on when we feel like we cannot press on anymore. May it help us take the next step, perhaps the hardest step, and wherever you're calling us to. We thank you that you are our home, our true home, our eternal home, our fulfillment and our promise. In Jesus' name.